If you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to take one that's in the pew, you're welcome to, or your phones, please go with me now to 2 Samuel 24. Second Samuel 24. Our reading this past week went to chapter 23, and tomorrow will be chapter 24. And so I'm actually, the message here this week is wrapping up this particular book before we transition into 1 Kings. And we're looking at a moment here where David takes a census of his men. And I think you're going to find these things to be very interesting and also very applicable for our own lives here today. So before we get into the Word, let's pray together, asking God to just settle our hearts and be ready to receive from Him. Father, I thank You for this time that we're spending here in Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You would settle our hearts, quiet this space, especially in the spiritual realm. There would be no distractions except that we're spending this time with You. And you are speaking into our hearts and lives through the power and the anointing of your word. And I'm asking, Lord, for your strength and your help in communicating what it is you've placed upon my heart to share. Please use me. Guide me. Guide my lips. Guide my heart. And guide this time, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Samuel 24, starting now in verse 1. The Bible says, once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by asking or taking a census. It says, go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. So the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. Now first they crossed the Jordan and camped at Aror, south of the town in the valley in the direction of Gad. Then they went to Jazer, then to Gilead, in the land of Tatumhodshi and the Dajan, and around to the Sidon. Then they came to the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and Canaanites. And finally they went south to Judah as far as Beersheba. I think I could have just summed that part out by saying they went all over and they counted the people. Having gone through the entire land for nine months and twenty days, they returned to Jerusalem, and Joab reported the number of people to the king. It says there were 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword, and 5,000 in Judah. Then it transitions here, and it says, Judgment for David's sin. But after David had taken the census, his conscience began bothering him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. The next morning the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. And this was the message. 
Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and asked him, Will you choose three years of famine throughout your land? Will you choose three months of fleeing from your enemies? Or three days of a severe plague throughout the land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. So that day Gad came to David and said, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. And when Arunah saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord the king? Arunah asked. And David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Arana said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aronah, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. And David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. And that's where we'll stop with our reading here. And as we begin to unpack this passage and what the Lord is doing in the midst of this circumstance and what it means for us here today, we want to recognize first that there is an issue that's going on. And the issue is that David is wrongfully taking a census. We see that clearly. And as I'm walking through this and I'm studying the Word and I know I'm going to be preaching and presenting this thing to you, in the midst of this I'm going, now wait a second. Verse 1 seems to me like the Lord is causing David to do this. How many of you caught that? Okay? So it, it, I, I'm reading that and I'm going, wait, so this is wrong, it's sinful, but yet verse 1 seems to say that God has incited David to do this. Verse 1, it says, Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Now, as we begin to unpack this, it's important to do what's called hermeneutics. 
And it's where we, we start to unpack this biblical interpretation, and we need to make sure that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay, so let's look at other places in the Bible that might help guide us on this particular issue. And so one of the things that takes place in 1 Chronicles 21 is we see David taking this census. It's another passage about what we just read. And verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 21 says this, Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to count Israel. So we have another passage that says Satan was the one who caused David to do this. Now what we're reading in 1 Samuel 24 verse 1 seems to, to read that God was the one who caused David to do this. Dr. David Jeremiah tells us that God never does evil or tempts people to do evil. So if we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture, we look at James chapter 1 when the Bible clearly says that God does not tempt people. And so when we look at it through that lens, David Jeremiah goes on to say that God does use evil agents to accomplish His purposes. We see that even back in the story of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army and not letting God's people go. And, and Pharaoh is, is saying, this is not going to happen. And then the hardness of his heart, God says, well, if you're not going to relent, if you're not going to change, then I'm going to start to do things here to accomplish my purposes. Remember, God's anger was burning against Israel. And so in this case, David Jeremiah says, God allowed Satan, God allowed Satan to incite David to take this census. A website called Got Questions says, in order to achieve God's purposes, sometimes he will sovereignly permit Satan to act in a situation. God can use Satan in various ways, with the results being something that's refining or a disciplining or a purification of those who are disobedient. And such might be the case with David. So God allowed Satan to tempt him, and then David sins, revealing his pride, and then God deals with David accordingly. So a question I would ask is, why is this census sinful? Okay, this wasn't that God tempted David or made him sin. God allowed Satan to come in and tempt him but ultimately, David's the one who's making the decision. There's no, the devil made me do it here. But the temptation from Satan reveals the pride that's in David's life. The census by David was to gratify that pride in this great army that he has in his own kingdom. Putting more trust in his forces than in his God. That's a problem. He was taking credit for his victories and building this great army, and this is what angered God, who then moved Satan to bring the sin to a head. And what's interesting, if you want to even break this out even further, as far as different studies and theologians and different interpretations on this, the NASB, the 1995 version, takes verse 1 like this. It says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David 
against them. So that particular translation would say that it's the anger that incited David. God's anger incited David. But whatever our interpretation is, we know this is why it's sinful. It's because David had a pride issue and he acted upon that. He wanted to revel in his own glory. He wanted to take this all in for himself. How many people do I have in my kingdom? That was a problem. Either way, we know the issue's wrong, and even his commander Joab gets involved. He tells David, don't do this. Did you catch that? Even his commander's going, David, this is not a good decision. And so then what takes place then is a judgment upon David and his life. Okay, I feel like we, we kind of got into the weeds there maybe, but I think it's important because if you're hung up on that first verse going, now wait a second, did God cause this? What? I don't understand. Understand this, God used Satan to tempt David. He allowed it to accomplish his greater purpose. And you'll see how that purpose plays out here towards the end. The judgment is a three-day plague that takes the lives of 70,000 people. What's interesting is there's three options that are given to David. You can have a three-year famine. You can have three months of fleeing. You know what that's like, David. You, you fled before, right? From King Saul. Or there's also the three-day plague. And what's interesting, with the three-day famine, to some degree you're at the mercy of men. In order to have food, other kingdoms, other men would have to give you food. And a three-month Fleeing from your enemies, again, you're at the mercy of men, men who are pursuing you. And this last one, a three-day plague, you are simply at the mercy of God himself. In verse 14, David says, let us fall into the hands of the Lord. And this is powerful, because his mercy is great. I trust the Lord's mercy, even though it might be difficult, then I trust man's mercy. I'm going to choose that one. Don't let me fall into human hands. And a three-day plague takes place. 70,000 people in his kingdom die until the Lord finally relents. And it's interesting that no doubt this consequence that was delivered to David takes a blow to the idol that's in David's life. What was he counting? People. And then he loses people in the consequence. You realize the issue in his life. He's dealing with pride, and specifically in this area, he had an idol, his own kingdom. It makes me think of this account where Jesus is approached by a rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler asks Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, I think you should obey the commands. You know the commands, right? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, all of these different things. And, and the man goes, I, I, I've kept those. I've kept those. And then Jesus tells him, well, then go and sell everything that you have and give it away. And this man who's like, I've kept all of God's commands, Jesus nails one of the idols that's in this man's life, and that's his possessions. And there's a commandment that says, You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus called out this rich young ruler's God. And this rich young ruler wasn't quite ready to depart with his stuff. 
And the Bible says that he goes away sad. He doesn't make this change in his life. He'd rather have his stuff, he'd rather have his possessions than inherit a possession that will never fade, that being eternal life. You and I, we can be just like David or we can be just like this rich young ruler. We can sin in a similar way, you see, because we put or we place our security or our safety in our own kingdom. Whether it's our money and possessions and the things that we have, we put our trust in that and we think it's ours. And there's a problem with that. As I was putting this together this week, I recalled a testimony of a man who was doing his bills one night. And he's going through his bills and he's paying all these expenses and he gets done and he's looking at the amount that is still left over in his checking account and he's just thinking, wow, the Lord has really blessed me. You know, there might have been a day and a time where things were a lot tighter than they are now, but, but this is just crazy. And it stirred in him to think, you know, I wonder what my balances are in some of these other accounts. And so that night he begins to look it up. He looks at his savings and he's like, wow, this is something. I wonder what's in my investment account. So he gets on and he looks at that and he's thinking, wow, I'm so blessed. And then he, he, he goes a step further. I wonder what's going on with my retirement account. And so he looks at that and he's just blown away by this. And then the next morning, he's in his quiet time with the Lord, and he senses the Lord tell him, how much money do you have? And his immediate thought was, I knew I shouldn't have added those things up. <laughs> he says, well, Lord, here's what I have. Actually, I added it all up last night. You know this. And then the Lord asked him, will you give it to me? Will you give it to me? And his first reaction, he says, was fear. Because again, folks, we put our safety, our security in these kinds of things. If I give all this away, how in the world is the Lord actually going to provide? See, that's where I think our, our thinking can get twisted and realizing that it's truly from the hand of the Lord, not from my own hand. And his second reaction after he kind of settles down was actually this reaction of what a privilege for the Lord to ask me if I would give it away. What a privilege that the Lord would ask me that question. So he talks it over with his wife and what they do is give it all away. All of those accounts. 15 years worth of work. It's gone. Well, at the end of that calendar year and then the next calendar year, so maybe about a year and a half later, he's in his quiet time, and he felt like God had told him in his quiet time, I want you to go add those four accounts up. He said initially his reaction is, it's, it's okay, Lord, I, I trust you, I'm good. I'm good, but he, he knew that God wanted him to do it, so he, he went and he began to add up the checking, the savings, the investment, and the retirement. And every single one of those accounts had more than doubled what was there a year and a half ago. And he was just blown away by that. And God told him, 
he felt in his spirit God said, what you did in 15 years, I did in one. And I could do it, I could do it in one day. And I share this story with you not to say, okay, go add it all up. Give it away. Let's see what happens, okay? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. Even good people, even good people can be distracted by their own kingdoms. This man was adding it up, the checking. Wow, the Lord has truly blessed me. Then he begins to add up all these other things. And so there's this balance between... Yes, the Lord has blessed me, and then also this possessiveness. This is mine. And that's wrong. I ran across this quote here just this morning. The most difficult test of character is not in the midst of failure, but it's in the midst of success. And how do you handle Success. Even good people can forget God's promises and provision. About a month ago, we had a guest speaker, Taylor Friesen, and he talked very clearly about how it was God who was going to establish David in his kingdom. And in 2 Samuel 7, there's a promise that the Lord gives to the prophet Nathan to then pass on to David. And you want to talk about who's establishing whose kingdom here. This is what God says to David. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture, and I selected you to be the leader of my people. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. And I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on this earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel. Not your people, David, that you want to count. I'm going to provide this. I will give you rest from all your enemies. And I will make a house for David. And I will raise up one of his descendants. And I will make his kingdom strong. And I will secure his throne forever. Who's establishing who? God is establishing David, not David establishing David. We look at our own lives and we think, in our own lives, who do we think we are? The ones establishing ourselves or recognizing that it's God who establishes us? What's amazing is that even in the midst of of sin and David making this decision and then you have the judgment for sin, you see a very clear and amazing picture of the gospel. I think you see that in verse 17. When this plague is happening, David in his prayer, he, he says, let your anger fall against me and my family. Not these people. And even calls them sheep. Anybody know a shepherd with some sheep that said, let the anger fall on me rather than the sheep? Can anybody see the gospel in David's words right here? 
Let the anger fall on me and my family, and who is in the line of David but Jesus himself? Jesus takes our punishment upon himself. The penalty that we all deserve, he is the one who takes that for us. Even though we deserve the judgment, the judgment is poured out on Christ when he was on the cross. I believe you see a picture of the gospel continue in the rest of this passage. David goes out and he makes a sacrifice. And the guy who has these possessions, he's like, just take it. Take it and make the sacrifice. And David goes, no, no, no. I'm going to buy this. Because I'm not going to make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Do you see the gospel in the purchasing of the sacrifice? Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be set free. He paid. And we can receive freely. The beauty of this passage is that God can take a sin issue like David focusing in on his own kingdom and he can turn it into a grace situation, that being God's kingdom. And you talk about God still carrying out his purposes even in the midst of our bad decisions. You want to know something interesting regarding this altar that David builds and makes this sacrifice? It's believed that this location is the same location where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And you think through history on that and how you can see the gospel at work years before this moment and then even years after. Years later, this would be a location in which Solomon would build the temple. And in this temple, Jesus would show up and he would preach and he would teach to people. Can you see God at work even in the midst of the bad decisions? That's the beauty of grace. So I have just a couple questions in wrapping this message up. This is the only place in the Bible where God gives somebody a choice about what kind of punishment they'll receive. David, you got three options. Three years of famine, three months of running from your enemies, or three days of a plague. Take your choice. I want us to think about this for a second because when it comes to the ultimate punishment for our sin, God sent Jesus to take that on for us. And God gives all of us a choice. He gives us a choice. Do you want Jesus to take your place? That's a choice. If Jesus is not a part of the equation in your life, then the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment for sin still rests squarely on your shoulders. But if you choose to place your trust in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he paid, then that judgment rests squarely on his shoulders. 
that hung upon that cross to set us free. What's your choice? Did you choose Jesus? Have you chosen Jesus? He's the one that brings forgiveness from the judgment of sin. There's another choice. If you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, then I have a question for all of us. As we live in the kingdom of God, the question would be, what do I value that might take the place of Jesus and his kingdom? I think we all have certain things that we might run to or that can take the place of Jesus' rightful position in our hearts and lives. And we go to these things. And our memory verse for this past week was Philippians 3, verse 8, when Paul says, I, I count everything worthless. It's worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for His sake, I discard everything else. Nothing else matters other than Jesus. I need to make Him my priority. He says, I count it all garbage so that I could gain Christ. Boy, in this day and age, we can get distracted by lots of things in our own kingdom, can't we? I'll be the first to raise my hand. There's things that I have to deal with in my own life. Russ, you're getting distracted. It's not about your kingdom. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself today. I don't know, maybe you don't have any distractions or anything that you're trying to build in your kingdom, but it's about His kingdom. And we need to be reminded of that. Even good people can get distracted with their own kingdom, just like David, just like this testimony I shared, just like all of us. We can get distracted. But Lord, help me to stay focused on what truly matters. And you think of this season of Lent and the preparation of our hearts and minds toward Easter and understanding that everything that Christ went through in order for you and I to be set free and to have life. A season like Lent is perfect to settle our hearts and say, it's not about my kingdom, it's about His kingdom. That's my heart today with this passage, with the question, what, what are we counting? What are we counting in this life? And I hope it's things that matter for eternity. I hope Jesus and his kingdom is a part of that equation when we count these things. I want to invite you to pray with me as we close here in reflection. Father, I thank you for this account of David and the things that were happening in his heart to be able to teach us and remind us that it's not about us. It's all about you. Lord, I know we fall short in many ways. But it's my prayer that as we survey the things in our life, we survey the most important thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ that set us free and put us into this kingdom because of your love for us, Lord. The punishment for sin is, is on your shoulders and not on ours. 
Lord, if there's someone right now that they can't think of a moment in their life where they made the decision, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done for me. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And if you desire to choose Jesus this morning, I want to lead you in prayer. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I come to you in faith. I need a Savior who will take the punishment that I deserve for the sin in my life. And you did that for me on the cross. So I'm asking for your forgiveness today. Please set me free. And please change my life. Give me the power and the strength to live the path that you desire. And as I walk forward in this journey, may it not be about my kingdom, may it be about yours. And I thank you for this gift today that comes to me by grace through faith. Lord, for all of us as we reflect on our own lives, if there's any idol that needs to come down, Rip it down, Lord. Help us to deal with it. Confess these things to you. Any area or any way we've made it about us, Lord, we come to you asking for forgiveness. May it be about you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We lift these things to you now in Jesus' precious name.